0: Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hello, I'm Kelly Brownell, the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University. I'm delighted to welcome you to our most recent podcast. Um, Please visit our website at www.yaleruddcenter.org for a variety of resources, including a list of the other excellent podcasts. I'm very happy today to to welcome a friend and colleague, Stephen Hayes, who's Nevada Foundation Professor in the Department of Psychology at the University of Nevada. He's a highly esteemed psychologist, author of 32 books and more than 400 scientific articles, and has been listed as one of the most highest impact psychologists in the United States. His work has been featured in Time Magazine. He's won awards from professional organizations and has served as president of several and was one of the founding members of the Association for Psychological Science. So, Steve, welcome. I'm happy to be here. So, Steve Steve Hayes is well-known for a variety of uh, advances in the area of psychology, but one thing in particular that he's done that has been noteworthy has been work on acceptance and commitment therapy. And this therapy is born from, uh, Steve, your view of how humans behave and how they think. Could you give us some background on what it's all about?
1: Well, what we focused on sort of early on are what are the things that make people's uh, behavior, what do what they do, their repertoire more narrow? And what can make it more flexible? Because part of what's remarkable is how we kind of don't learn from experience. Uh, it's not that we can't see the problems. Uh, in the health area, we certainly can, but psychologically or in relationships. Uh, and yet, somehow, we find ourselves doing the same things that created those problems. Well, that's odd. In a lot of the models where I come from, I was uh, really trained as an animal learner. It's not like that. You know, I mean, a dog and a cat can stop doing things that create uh, bad outcomes. But it seems people sometimes have a hard time doing that. So. Really, what my work is focused on is what are the things that narrow a human repertoire and what are the things that expand a human repertoire so we can do a better job of learning from experience
0: and you know, moving in the direction we want to go. So you've talked especially about uh, human relationships uh, and a lot of other things as well, behaviors that people have that are self-defeating. Could you give us some examples of sort of those things in everyday life?
1: The thing, well, the things that narrow a human repertoire, there's, there's two big ones. Are if you spend your time trying to avoid what you don't like about the world within, you're going to get in trouble. If you're going to, if you're trying to avoid sensations you don't like, emotions you don't like feeling, or thoughts that you don't like having, uh, that occur in the process of doing something that is helpful to you, uh, if if you don't know how to open yourself up to that, well, it means now you you have a barrier you're not going to be able to overcome. So, what would be some examples? Well, um, For example, uh, let's take a person who's going to start exercising, and they haven't exercised in a long time. They're going to judge themselves. It's going to feel awkward. It's going to be physically uncomfortable, almost no matter how careful you are in implementing it. Plus, people are going to see you. What are they going to think of you? Do you really want to go to that gym and get into that little gym suit and go out there and huff and puff and get sweaty in front of people? I mean, there's lots of thoughts, feelings, memory, bodily sensations, and these have kind of a long history they go back to you know they can make you feel almost like a little kid you feel insecure and 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 there's ways to avoid that number one don't exercise two how about self-soothing and you might self-soothe with some of the best things out there like a Twinkie might be nice and so if you can't uh, open up to small amounts of difficult feelings and find a way to hold that lightly in a kind of a self-compassionate way and then connect with your values and get your be- behavior linked to that if you don't know how to do that uh, life will constantly uh, narrow you down make you more rigid make you less flexible and that's a lot of what we're seeing in uh, the health problems that we're facing i believe
0: so you could see uh, you're, you're making a case for how powerful these internal feelings can be because if, if fleeing from those feelings trumps doing something that you know is good for you they must be pretty pretty darn they are powerful driver. They
1: are, but I think the mistake that we've made even in psychology is when we've noticed that, and it's easy enough to see in our research and so forth, you can see that difficult thoughts, feelings, memories, and sensations will function as barriers for people. The way that we've usually tried to solve that is by changing the difficult thoughts, feelings, memories, and sensations. So if we're anxious, we should relax. If we think irrational things, we, could, we should think rational things, et cetera. The problem is, is that these things are historical. When I'm doing workshops, I sometimes ask people to pick something they really, really don't like about themselves and to sort of magically put it in, in their hand and hold their hand up. And then I say, if, you, if this just showed up, this issue, within the last year, put your hand down, the last five years, last 10 years, last 20 years. And here you've got a room full of therapists, usually. By the time you get to 25 and 30 years, a few people are aging out because they weren't alive. <laughs> but... Other than that, people are still have their hands up. So some of the things that we struggle with are historical, and and they have punch because of that. You know, you, you do feel, for example, uh, inadequate or unloved or unlovable. Well, some of those issues are going to go will go back to being five and six and being criticized by your siblings or parents and things like that. So trying to change the content out with the anxiety, and with the relaxation, is very difficult. But changing your relationship to the content, you can, you can do very quickly. Uh, we've developed methods, but other people's have as well. And they have profound, a profound impact. You can teach people very quickly to be more open to difficult feelings, memories, thoughts that are historical, that echo through your life forever. But they don't have to control your life.
0: Oh, it's so interesting. And uh, it's such a different approach than traditional psychology, to be sure.
1: It is, and it's uh, It's not just the ACT work. It, uh, there's a number of folks onto it, and one of the things that's exciting is not only are we getting decent to quite good outcomes, but the, we know from the research that when the processes I'm talking about move, the outcomes come, and that has been uncharacteristic. In other words, we know that the principle is right, and in the history of science, when you know that the principle is right, well, then you can chase it. People can be creative as to how to move that. And in psychology, we often haven't known that. We've known that the thoughts and feelings get in the way. But the, when we try to change them directly, those don't necessarily predict good outcomes. People can still you know, say, oh, yeah, I'm thinking more rationally, and still have problems. And so when you change your relationship to the world within, uh, your your behavior can be more powerfully linked to what you really want to produce in their life. So
0: we'll record a second podcast talking about the application of sure. these principles to the health domain. But you've done a lot of work with psychological issues that people yes. face. Could you talk about some of the the studies you've done on this and how how what kind of outcomes you can produce with getting people to accept their feelings more?
1: Essentially, what we go after. Uh, if you want three words, would be acceptance, mindfulness, and values-based action. We try to teach people to be more open and receptive to your feelings. I don't mean just tolerating them and being resigned to them, but actually curious about them, reaching out and touching them the way you might touch a table, feeling what they feel like. How do they ebb and flow? Where do they begin and end? Where do they show up in your body?
0: What do they remind you of? So is this different from traditional insight and psychotherapy? Well,
1: insight often was so much oriented towards thinking uh, uh, differently about it or seeing the light or something like that this is more of a continuous process of being open to how your history echoes into the present you know if you walk out into the gym and you're feeling uncomfortable just sort of be open to that okay I'm feeling uncomfortable and what does that remind me of okay I feel like a little kid here and in other areas when I've I've been able to walk through this I can move forward and so you hold yourself sort of gently the way you might If you had a child next to you who was afraid, you probably wouldn't slap them because they're being afraid or take them home because they're being afraid. You'd probably sit with them and kind of just let them uh, sort of walk through it and teaching yourself to do that with yourself. Mindfulness has to do with seeing your thoughts as an ongoing process in the present rather than looking at the world structured by your thoughts. So when thoughts show up, they're, they're sort of, they fly under the radar screen and they kind of structure how the world looks. If you can pull them out and look at them, you might even remember where you heard them. Like if you have a self-critical thought, sometimes it even comes to you in the voice of your mother or father, for example. You know, these are old things. Can we just kind of look at them and then values? You know, what do you really want? Not do you want? Do you want to get rid of? But what do you want to be about? I don't mean ob- goals, really. I don't mean even what you want to achieve. I mean, what do you want your life course to manifest? Like who do you who do you want to be in the world? And connecting with that, and one at a time, just walking that path and seeing where it takes you. Those three things, acceptance, mindfulness, and values, seem to apply to almost any area of human functioning that you can name. And what's really exciting about
0: the work is the breadth of it, that the same model keeps to apply over and over again. I could see how it would be so widely applicable. Yeah. So in in areas of psychology, like people having relationship problems, for example, have you done some research on how this approach uh, applies and works in that domain?
1: We have have done work on uh, uh, human uh, relationships. Uh, Most of my work has been initially more in traditional psychology areas, in anxiety, for example, depression. Uh, Turns out it's counterintuitive. But if you teach people who are depressed to literally open up to the feelings that come with depression, because I think really depression is what you feel when you're trying not to feel. Mm. you know, the depression begins to change its uh, form. If you open up to the negative thoughts, like, I'm bad, this will never get any better, and instead of running away from them, just allow them to be there, okay. thanking your mind for that thought. There it goes again. OK, now what do I want to be about here? even horrific things. Part of what is exciting about this work is we've shown that you can take this even into areas like psychosis. If you want a quick model of it that might be popular and calm with the people, if people remember the movie A Beautiful Mind, Mm -hmm. that's an act movie. Didn't come from act, but that move of, yeah, the little kid, like if you know the movie, will walk with you, but you don't have to interact with her all the time to the point that you lose your family and lose your work. You can let these odd thoughts come along. These odd experiences come along, and focus on what you want to be about, and uh, that's what we teach people how to do. So even with areas like uh, psychosis, we found that four hours of uh, ACT produces a fifty percent reduction in rehospitalization over the next four months. Uh, pretty, know, amazing th- pretty amazing results. Uh, pretty amazing results, and uh, you know, uh, uh, showing the same principles
0: that apply in all these areas. So once once people are able to experience the feelings and label them maybe or understand or, or live with them, um, it, you know, it's probably helpful to note them and label them, but not to figure
1: them out okay. because inside figuring out is usually it's a problem solving mode of mind. Well, but really it also not implies curious. there's something wrong with exactly.
0: Them, whereas you're talking about accepting them and. You're you, you are who you are, and let's, let's see what's going on. Inside. Yes,
1: although in the way that you're saying it, even there's a tone of accepting like resignation. I mean acceptance more like curiosity. Uh-huh. Like really, like, like little kids with a bug in a jar. Mm-hmm. Like what if what happened if you treated your own pain that way? Like, isn't that interesting? You know, when I do that, this comes up, and I feel it right there. And, and just kind of not to make it go away, not with a secret, secret subtext that you're going to solve your problem you're in that way. I mean, your life is not a problem to be solved. It's a process to be experienced. And so you asked about relationships. Can I give you an example? Sure. OK. Most people have been betrayed in relationships. If you watch what the human mind does with that, the most common thing you'll find people say is, I'll never be so vulnerable again. But of course, the reason that it hurt to be betrayed be left behind or cheated on or something like that is that what you wanted was intimate committed relationships that's why it hurt so the flip side of your pain is your values but what your mind tells you to do is i'll protect you from the pain the only way that can knows how to do that is protecting you from the risk the only way to do that is to not seek what you value so i'll never be so vulnerable again means i'll never let people get close to me again means i will never allow myself to be hurt again means i can't have the kind of relationships I wanted in the first place, which is why it hurt. It's like a person dropping a glass of water who's thirsty and of swearing off drinking a, a water again. I mean, it's instead what we need to do, and most people, I think, have seen this in their relationships. You have to find a way to allow yourself to be vulnerable on purpose. Yeah, be wise. Pick partners who are healthy. Don't expect not to have hurt. That's part of relationships, and find a way to re- work through that and reach out uh, in the service of creating those kind of loving relationships you want. Well, that same principle applies across the board. It applies to health. It applies to anxiety, depression, substance abuse. It seems to apply to, um, to work. It, it's, it's just a general
0: issue. We're going to record a second podcast, as I mentioned, dealing with the application of this in the health-related areas. Um, but before we end this and begin yeah. the other one, I wanted to mention to the listeners that uh, Steve Hayes has written a best-selling self-help book called "Get Out of Your Mind and Into Your Life." Uh, was also featured. Uh, Steve's work was featured in Time magazine in an issue in two thousand and six. So, if you'd like to explore further, you can uh, go find information that way. Is there also a website people could go to to find more information? There is, not just for me, but for the work in general, contextualpsychology.org, all one word, contextualpsychology.org. All right, thank you. So our guest for this first podcast is Stephen Hayes, Nevada Foundation Professor in the Department of Psychology at the University of Nevada. Uh, We'll be soon recording the second podcast, and please join us for that. Thank you.